Hi there, I'm Sue Alvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 143. And today I want to talk about respecting our children and also Christmas. Before I get into today's topic, I want to tell you some very exciting news. I got a shock yesterday. Yes, I have been working really hard on my book. You might know that, my unschooling book, the book that I have been writing for years. And you're probably wondering why it is taking me so long to write this book. Actually, that's what I've been thinking as well. Why aren't I getting to the end of it? Now, a couple of weeks ago, I told you that I had set myself a deadline. The deadline is the last day of this year. And then over January, my daughter Imogen and I, we're going to format my book and get it ready for publishing. Yes, I am going to finish this project. And so because I have a deadline, I have been working on this book practically every day. But still, I've been thinking, hey, I've got so much more to do. I guess that we never get to the end of unschooling. There's always one more thought to have, one more idea to ponder. And that has got me into a little bit of trouble. I keep thinking, I've got to include this idea, I've got to include that idea. I've got to have enough thoughts and ideas and stories to fill a whole book. And then yesterday, I suddenly thought, I wonder how many words I've written. Well, I have tried to check it before, but something went wrong with my Scrivener project. I couldn't get Scrivener to give me a total, the total amount of words for the whole book. And then yesterday afternoon, I thought, well, I must be making a mistake somewhere. What am I doing wrong? And then I realized that all my chapters aren't in the right binder. There's a file called Drafts, and yes, there's nothing in it. All my chapters are outside the draft. So I spent 10 or 15 minutes moving all my files into the draft binder. And then I went and checked the word count, and it worked this time. I waited a minute or two while Scrivener did whatever it does, and then the total amount of words came up on the screen. And oh my, I got a shock. I have written over 216,000 words. That's a lot, just in case you don't know how many words are in an average book. So I went racing down to my daughter Imogen's bedroom and I said, Imogen, you won't believe how many words I've written for my unschooling book. I have written over 216,000 words. And she laughed and she said, Mom, you haven't written one unschooling book. You have written two or three. So that's why I haven't finished my book yet. I didn't know that I've finished writing book one. I'm working on the sequels, book two and possibly three. So that made me smile. But also, I've got to make some decisions now. Do I throw out half of what I've written and just publish one book? Or do I divide what I've written into two and publish two books? 
I will probably go through and eliminate some chapters because it's always good to look at what we have written with a critical eye and do some pruning in the last stages. Just recently, I have been throwing out a few chapters here and there, things that haven't been coming together. And now looking back, I think, well, that was quite all right, wasn't it? I didn't need those thoughts and ideas and stories. I've got plenty of things to choose from to put in my book. So I'm wondering, what do you think? Do you think one book or two? Perhaps I could put all the more educational things into the first volume and then continue on and talk about parenting and radical unschooling in the second volume. Really, I think both books would complement each other. I don't think either one would be complete without the other. I will be continuing ideas on from one book to the next. And really, it would be nice to publish it as one book, but I think that will be far too expensive to do that. Not as an ebook. I could easily make a big ebook, but print books. Yes, the postage for a huge print book will be enormous, regardless of the printing cost of all those pages. So I'm wondering what you think. I posted about this yesterday on Instagram stories of, of an unschooling family, and a few people stopped by and said that two books sounds good. Actually, one person said that reading two books would be more impressive than reading one book. And that made me think that writing two books is far more impressive than writing one book. So I'm feeling really excited. I've got more of my unschooling thoughts and ideas and stories written than I imagined. I have plenty of material to put in a book or two and to publish. There should be no reason why I can't have my book finished and published early next year. So on to the topic of the day. Well, there are two of them this week. The first topic, respecting our children. Now, I'm going to share a story that I've been writing for my book. Maybe a word or two will change between now and the time I publish it, but you will get the general idea. So perhaps I can share the story with you, and there might be a point or two that I can talk about afterwards. Now, the title of this story is quite boring. The working title is Respecting Our Children, but maybe that will change as well. Now, this story starts years ago. I didn't tell you how many years ago, because you will think that I am very, very old. It starts when our first child was only a baby or a toddler. Probably a toddler. So, here's my story. Years ago, when my husband Andy and I were young parents... We were friends with Harry and Martha, who had similar-aged children to ours. We'd meet regularly on Sunday afternoons, and while our kids played together, we'd sip wine and chat about all the things parents are interested in. Our kids. One day, we mulled over the topic of how we should talk to our children. How do we speak to them so that they will do what we want? 
Harry said, "It's no good asking in a polite tone of voice. Kids won't listen unless we show them who's in control." Martha nodded. "Yes, we've got to show them who's the boss." Their actions matched their words. They barked orders at their daughters. I ordered my children around too. Stay away from the TV. Don't touch. Come here. Do this. Do that. I had an inkling feeling that ordering children around like this was wrong. I continued yelling at my kids, but I called it training. By keeping up a constant stream of orders, I got them to stay away from some things and not to touch others. And to come to me instead of me going to them. I wonder if my many commands floated over our neighbors' fences. And then one terrible day, I heard my words falling out of my daughter's mouth: "Go away." I sometimes tell our dog to go away. "Go away, Quinn!" I cry as she drools all over me. My words never upset our puppy. She just grins and ignores me. It would be nice if she obeyed. It might be okay for me to issue commands to a dog, but what about my children? They're not pets. They are people, just like me. Despite the differences in our ages, we're equal in value and dignity, and so we're all entitled to be treated with respect. I rearranged our house. I made it a safe place for young children. There was no need for me to order them away from dangers. I'd removed them. Instead of saying "Don't touch," I said, "Would you like to hold it?" I stopped telling my children to come to me. I went to them. Yes, I stopped ordering my kids around. Instead, I started talking to them in a respectful way. I didn't just reframe my requests with friendly and polite words. I changed my whole behavior. I treated my kids as I like to be treated myself. It wasn't always easy, especially when I was tired, but it was the right thing to do. By this time, we were no longer friends with Harry and Martha. We'd drifted apart. But if we'd still spent lazy Sunday afternoons together, sipping wine and talking about our favorite subject, they might have asked, "Do your kids still listen to you? Do they do as you want? Does respecting our kids work? Is it worth the effort?" And I might have thought they're missing the point. For a long time, I missed it. Shouldn't we respect kids without expecting anything in return? We shouldn't have an ulterior motive. Isn't it the right of every child to be treated in a respectful way? So how do we show children respect? Is respect about how we talk to them and our willingness to listen properly and accept their opinions and choices and feelings? Perhaps we ought to adapt our world to suit them, instead of insisting they cope with ours. Respect is about accepting that our kids know their needs better than us.
and is it respectful to allow our kids to be who they are instead of trying to turn them into the people we think they should be? In my mind, I answer Harry and Martha's question. When we're respectful towards our kids, we don't have to order them around. They're willing to do what is right. And isn't that better than having kids who obey? Before I started the story, I was talking about how old my daughter was at the time when we knew Martha and Harry. Now, I think my daughter was about two and a half or three years old, and my son, our second child, was still a baby. So I was probably very busy with the baby and also very tired. And I thought the way to get my daughter to do what I wanted her to do was to yell at her. Everybody did it. That's the way all my friends parented. But as I said, I had this niggling feeling that that was the wrong thing to do. It's terrible when we hear our own words falling from our children's mouths, isn't it? It's even worse when those words fall from their mouths in public. And then we try and explain them away. They're not copying us, are they? Surely they're not. Surely they heard those words somewhere else, not in our home. We don't like to admit it. It makes us feel guilty, and maybe it should. So I decided that I'd have to change, change my whole approach to how I treated my children. At the end of the story, I said, when we're respectful towards our kids, we don't have to order them around. They're willing to do what is right. I think this is all bound up with connection, loving our kids unconditionally, accepting them, making them feel that they are important people in their own right. And so they will grow up doing what is right. Of course, we have to decide whether what we want our kids to do is the right thing for our kids to do. What is right might look different to us and to our child. I suppose that's something we could think about. Now, this reminds me of another story that I have been writing about chores. How do we get kids to do the chores? And I was thinking about how we have to be a good example. We have to do everything that we want our kids to do. So if we want our kids to help us, we have to help them. But really, that's not enough. And maybe this is why some people come back to me and say, Sue, that's a nice idea, but it doesn't work. It's just too simple. I help my kids, but my kids don't want to help me in return. And I wonder if trust is an issue. Perhaps our kids are weary. Perhaps they think that we're only helping them because we want them to help us. We have an ulterior motive. We're just doing it because we want something from them. And of course, we do want helpful children, but that shouldn't be our only motive. What's more important is that our kids see that we want to help them, that we enjoy helping them, that we will help them because it is the right thing to do. So maybe chores are all wrapped up with trust. 
There are other things we can talk about with this issue, and I've written a lot about it for my book, but that was just a couple of points that came to mind as I was reading that story about respecting kids. The two stories seemed connected in some way. So that's where I'm going to leave the topic of respecting our children. On to Christmas. This podcast, as you might know, is a little bit late. And I think that is because it has been a very busy week. I've had a few outings, a few appointments, and I have been spending a lot of time doing my Christmas shopping. I am pleased to say that I have bought all my presents. I have also spent a lot of money. And I could feel guilty about that. Especially as every year I think about having a simple Christmas, pairing back, getting back to the important things of the Christmas season. I've been looking at posts on Instagram, reading about how other people are having a very minimal Christmas. And part of me thinks that I should be doing that as well. But I haven't done that, no. I have bought quite a few presents. They're all piled up around me, waiting to be wrapped. And I am refusing to feel guilty about those presents. Yes, I have spent lots of money, but that's quite okay. I have given up a lot of time and a lot of money for those people that I love. Before I spent all that money, I did a lot of listening, a lot of observing, and then a lot of thinking about what I could get that would make my loved people's eyes light up on Christmas Day. And then I went out, and I do not enjoy Christmas shopping, but I battled my way around the shops. I made decisions. I spent money. I got tired. I came home with lots and lots of bags. And now I have to face the task of wrapping everything up. And these are things I do not enjoy doing. But it will be worth it. I have made a lot of sacrifices so that my family will feel joyful on Christmas Day. They will know that I love them. I mean, I could tell them that. They will believe it anyway. I don't really need to buy all these gifts to make them feel special. But I'm not going to pretend that we don't like gifts. Everybody, I'm sure, likes getting a present. Especially a present that has been chosen very, very carefully. Yes, sometimes our presents are a reflection of how much we care for those around us. So I'm not going to feel guilty. I'm going to feel joyful. And I do feel excited. I am anticipating all my family and all my friends opening their gifts on Christmas Day morning. And to complement all those feelings, I have a story that I want to share with you. You'll find this one on my blog. I wrote it quite a long time ago. It was originally on one of my other blogs, but I published it again on my unschooling blog. It's called The Perfect Christmas Present Secret. And I wrote a little bit of an introduction to it, and I'll start there. Have you got piles of presents 
hidden in your bedroom, waiting for Christmas Day. I have. Except they're not really hidden. They're scattered around my room in the most inconvenient of places. I keep tripping over them. It took me a long time to buy all my gifts and a lot of effort. To be honest, I don't like Christmas shopping. I'm tempted to say, let's not have any presents this year. It's all a commercial trick to make us part with our money. Let's just concentrate on the important aspects of Christmas, the religious side. Except I can't do that. Why not? Don't I have a choice? I do. I freely choose to do something that causes me a lot of effort and frustration and money. Buying gifts is an opportunity for me to show great love towards my friends and family. Because I love, I'm willing to battle the crowds and part with my money and come home with hopefully perfect gifts. I will then spend hours cutting paper and getting the sticky tape in a mess as I wrap everything up. But once all that is done, I can anticipate the joy on everyone's faces on Christmas morning as they tear off the paper Will they say, how did you know what I wanted? This is perfect. Will they know how much I love them? I hope they do. And now here's my story about Christmas and presents and love. I have a secret, a Christmas present secret. It's such a delightful secret. I keep thinking about it and smiling. Until a few days ago, I had no idea what to buy my husband Andy for Christmas. There were lots of things that would do. But I couldn't think of that one particular thing that would make Andy's eyes light up and in doing so, give me a huge thrill of joy. Then last Friday, the idea came to me out of the blue when I least expected it. After weeks of thinking and thinking, the idea popped into my head when I wasn't actually thinking about presents at all. I consulted the girls. Yes, they agreed. The idea was perfect. We headed into town, sure we'd find exactly what we were looking for without any trouble at all. I don't know why we were so full of optimism. Our shopping centre isn't very big. It was quite possible not even one of what we wanted existed in a shop near us. But there it was, sitting outside the first shop we parked alongside of. Well, to be quite honest, we didn't buy that exact thing. We found an even better one inside the shop. Two to choose from. We were very fortunate. The girls and I walked around it, tried it out, talked together, Wondered if we could get it home in the van. And finally, paid for it and left the shop with it. We hoisted it into the van. Mission accomplished. We drove home all smiles. And now we can't wait to see Andy's face on Christmas morning. What are you looking forward to most at Christmas? I ask Gemma Rose. Going to Midnight Mass? Seeing baby Jesus in the crib, singing Christmas carols, thanking Jesus for coming into the world as a little baby. No, she didn't say any of these. 
she said with a gleam of anticipation in her eye, "Presents." Now I was a little disappointed with this answer. I will admit, it does nothing to promote a desirable, perfect Catholic mother with the perfect Catholic children image. But I thought about it some more and decided Gemma Rose's answer wasn't as bad as all that. What if, after I have gone to so much trouble finding the perfect gifts for everyone, no one is actually looking forward to opening them? No, I hope everyone is wondering about and anticipating their presence. I want everyone to be impatient to tear off the wrappings. I want to see the look of joy on their faces when they discover what I've chosen. I want them to know that my presence reflect my love for them. Andy gets rather stressed out about choosing gifts for me. He is so anxious to please. He often resorts to asking me what I'd like, just to make sure his present is a success. Being asked what I'd like disappoints me in a way. Somehow, I just expect him to know instinctively what I'd like. Doesn't he know me like no one else? Doesn't he listen and remember? Doesn't he know the yearnings of my heart? I know I'm being unreasonable. But a few months ago, he hit the jackpot. We were walking through the shopping center together two weeks before our wedding anniversary. When he suddenly darted off into a shop, leaving me behind, he reappeared with a secret parcel and a huge grin spread across his face. "I've done it," he announced. "I finally found you the perfect gift without asking you what you want. I know you'll love it." Then he added. And it's still two weeks until our anniversary. This year, I have done exceedingly well. I had to agree. The leather backpack he presented me with a couple of weeks later was perfect. It was entirely me. I am sure it was hanging in the handbag shop, just waiting to be mine. It wasn't just any backpack. It was my present. And Andy had thought and thought, and then he knew he had to buy it for me. Oh, I felt so loved that day. I hope Andy feels just as loved when he sees the wonderful gift I have for him. I have been watching and listening, and although he hasn't mentioned he'd like one of what I've bought, I just know it's exactly what he needs and wants. Of all the possible presents in the world, it's his present. So what did I buy? Now Andy never reads my blog, but I still don't feel safe exposing the secret online. All I will say is it's lying on the older girl's bedroom floor, hiding under a blanket. Dad always talks to us from the doorway," said Imogen. "He'll never even notice there's a secret lying on the floor. I hope she's right. I can imagine it's Christmas morning." Close your eyes," I will say to Andy before turning to the girls. "Bring in Dad's present." Andy will open his eyes and he will see his present. I will watch his face. Will it light up with joy? Will he say, "Wow, that's the perfect present"? I wonder if he'll add, "How did you know what I wanted?" Will he feel special and loved because I thought carefully and just knew? I hope so. 
presents. Gemma Rose is looking forward to presents. I have a confession to make. So am I. And as I wrote that post a few years ago, I then revealed what Andy's perfect Christmas present was. I bought him a comfortable, swiveling office chair. He has spent hours and hours sitting in it while working. And when Andy is not using his chair, the cats snuggle up in it. They think it's perfect, too. So I hope all the Christmas presents that I've bought will be a success, that everybody will like their presents as much as Andy liked his chair. I bought things that I think will be useful, that will make a difference. Things that won't last just for a day and then be put on a shelf and forgotten about. Maybe that's important, not just adding to the pile of things that we have, but buying things that will make a difference, things that will be used, things that will be consumed and enjoyed without filling up our house with more useless stuff. So I hope all my presents come under that heading. Also, Christmas is a good time for sorting out all the things that we don't need any longer, things that we can pass on to other people, things we can take down to the charity shops, or even pass on to other members of our family. Sometimes my older girls sort through their possessions and pass on things to their younger sisters. Nobody minds a second-hand gift either. I've bought Christmas presents in charity shops before. I've bought them, wrapped them up, and presented them to my children on Christmas Day. And nobody minds whether a present is second-hand or new. The other thing about Christmas presents is that we shouldn't forget other people outside the family. Christmas is a good time for remembering people that we want to thank for various things that they have done for us throughout the year, for being our friend, for doing things for us, and also not forgetting the people less fortunate than us. So I'm wondering, have you bought all your Christmas presents? Do you buy Christmas presents? I met a family once who said they don't buy presents. Christmas Day is Jesus' birthday, not theirs, so they don't buy presents. That's their choice, not ours. We are all free to choose what we want to do, just as long as what we do brings us joy. So I think that I've only got a couple of more things to say before I finish this episode. I would like to invite you to join me on Instagram if you have an account there. I post something most days. I've been finding posting on Instagram a little bit difficult the last week or two, and that's not because of the usual reason. I haven't been getting overwhelmed by Instagram. I just haven't had any photos to post. I lost four years' worth of photos, which is rather sad, isn't it? I copied them from my laptop onto an external hard drive and then I deleted them from my computer. I only made one copy. And then about two weeks ago, my external hard drive started malfunctioning. I cannot get the files open. Four years worth of photos. It's heartbreaking. 
but I'm still hopeful. I'm going to take my external hard drive down to a computer shop and find out whether I can have the data recovered. I've been told that it might be possible, but it might also be expensive. How much value do we place on our photos? Wow, there's a lot of memories there for the last four years. I've got copies of some of the photos because they are on my blog, but they're only small files. And I don't have the raw files, which I still like to play around with. As my photography and editing gets better, I do go back to my old photos and play around with them some more, try new effects out. Hopefully, I make them look better. But anyway... I shall have to get my camera out and start taking more photos. I suppose that it is a photography time of year. There's lots of interesting things to capture with my camera. But yes, I have found a few photos that I've been posting with some captions, and we've been having some interesting discussions about various unschooling topics. Also, the other day I posted a photo, or two, or was it three, of our Aussie bush Christmas tree. Every year I make a Christmas tree. I gather some branches from the bush, branches that have fallen from the gum trees and that are lying on the ground. I go looking for fairly straight branches, all of about the same length, and then I make my Christmas tree out of them. I bundle them all up, I get some string, and I wrap it around one end of the branches, and then I pull out all the branches so that they form legs, so that my Christmas tree will stand up. And usually my branches have some knobbly bits on them, bits that I can hang my decorations from, my ornaments. Each year my Christmas tree looks a little bit different from the one before. I really enjoy putting this Christmas tree together. It's my Christmas tree. I usually put it in the living room, in the window. We also have a bigger tree, a traditional type tree, and that goes in our family room. So if you are interested in seeing the pictures of my tree, you will find them on Instagram, but you will also find them on my blog, because I have a post called How to Make an Aussie Bush Christmas Tree, and you'll find that on the homepage of my blog, but I will put a link in the show notes. We made an Aussie bush Christmas tree for one of my daughter Imogen's music video shoots. She was singing a Christmas song and we put together a tree at our location and yes, it was a prop. It was in the background behind or next to Imogen as she was singing and I think it looked really good. It gave a special Aussie touch to the music video. Imogen has made a few Christmas videos Most of them are traditional Christmas carols. The song that she sang in front of the Aussie Bush Christmas tree was actually a Peter Hollands composition. Imogen has a playlist of her Christmas music. Maybe I'll add some links so that if you're interested, you can go over to her YouTube channel, Imogen Elvis, and have a look at her videos. See what we managed to put together. I think it was last Christmas and maybe the Christmas before. We haven't actually made any videos this Christmas. Maybe we'll get together over January and make another music video. I think we would all enjoy doing that. So I think that's all I want to tell you.
As usual, I put some show notes on my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. Probably I'll write a little bit of a story to go with the show notes, like I usually do. So I hope that you're all enjoying Advent and that your Christmas preparations are going well and that you're finding the perfect presents for your loved ones and that you're not getting too overwhelmed by all you have to do before Christmas Day. Please stop by my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family, or Instagram, if you would like to comment on anything that I have said today, if you'd like to share your own Christmas stories, or if you just like to say hello. Now I'm hoping that I'll be back with another episode next week. It's just over two weeks until Christmas. Can you believe that? Time is passing very quickly. And maybe I will take a break over Christmas and New Year. I haven't quite decided. I've got a few topics that people want me to talk about, such as reading out loud. So I might plan a few episodes for the new year. I have to keep on podcasting into the new year because I suspect that I'm going to get a new microphone for Christmas from my husband, Andy. He sort of threw that out at me the other day. Did you say that you would like a new microphone? And I said, well, I'm using Imogen's mic at the moment, and that's okay. And he said, it would be nice, wouldn't it, to have a mic of your own? And I guess it would, because then we'd have two mics. And maybe the next time that I sit down and do an interview with my daughter Sophie or somebody else from my family, we could have a mic of our own. And then the sound quality would be better. The mic that I've got my eye on is a Yeti. My daughter Sophie's eyes lit up when she saw this mic in our local shops. She says that it is a very good mic. It's the mic that most YouTubers like using. So maybe I will get one of those. I will just have to wait until Christmas Day to see what is under the wrappings. Will my eyes light up when I open my presents? I think even if I don't get a mic, I will get something very good, something perfect, Something that's just me. So yes, there will be a lot of joy on Christmas Day. I'm sure that I'm going to feel very loved. Anyway, I better say goodbye. I hope you have a wonderful unschooling week. Thank you for listening to this episode, episode 143. And until next time, don't forget to trust, respect, and love unconditionally.